Wow, man. You had a sh in our pants there. That was like Apollo 13 for a minute. Welcome to episode 36 of the RF Generation Playcast. I'm Ghost 81 and here we will discuss our selection for March 2017. This month we played an all-time classic dungeon crawler for the PC and PlayStation. In our discussion of Blizzard's masterpiece Diablo, Rich and I are joined by former co-host of the show Steven, better known to the world as Disposed Hero. Together, we'll dive deep into the dungeons of hell and beyond and let you know if this game holds up over 20 years after its initial release. Please remember to subscribe to us on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. You can listen to the show on Podbean and iTunes. As always, don't forget to log on to rfgeneration.com to join our playthroughs and discuss the awesome games we play together. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. Friday. It is that. And you guys are keeping me away from basketball right now. You realize that, right? Oh, you're a March Madness guy? Well, I, I do like March Madness. I do like basketball. And my team's actually playing right now. So when we scheduled this call, I didn't take that in consideration as far as the schedule. I didn't look that far ahead in advance, which that's fine, man. I'm cool. Now, are you the kind of person who can DVR a sports game and then watch it later? Because I cannot do that. Like, knowing that it's already happened, <laughs> I can't. I can never do that. No, I can't either. My, my wife and kids are down there watching Survivor right now instead of watching the game. And that's fine. I can watch that later. You know, I'd be like, don't spoil it for me. I can watch that later. But when it comes to sports events, I can't do it. Plus, you know, with texting and things like that, I have friends who will just send texts back and forth. And so I'm going to find out like what the score is at some point. How about you guys? Are you guys into March Madness? Do you watch any of the games or follow any teams? No. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Just living up to the video game playing stereotype, I see. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I'm a big baseball fan. Oh, I just cool. am not really into any other sports. Uh, least of all would be basketball. I mean, yeah. if I c- could even sniff another sport, it would probably be American football. I, I, I'm just primarily a baseball fan. Yeah, for me, I, I follow like March Madness. I get excited about that and enjoy it. And then I follow pro football. I'm a Chicago Bears fan, so I do follow them throughout the season. So, uh, Stephen, you're uh, down in the old uh, Falcons territory. So you guys had mm-hmm. an exciting season last year. Yeah, um, I actually watched uh, the the Super Bowl um, this year. That was like the first time I've ever <laughs> yeah, watched it. Yeah, that's what it. it's called. <laughs> it sounds exciting. <laughs> well, I didn't. Uh, I didn't plan on it. I had a. Uh, a friend of mine was over, and he he wanted to watch it, so I kind of got roped into it too. But it, it was cool; I, I enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, I don't really f- watch sports or follow it much at all. Although that game was a little bit of a of a heartbreaker for Atlanta. Yeah, it was, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was rooting for you guys. I really was. Didn't yeah. want to see the Patriots win again. And right. you know, growing up in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. For the longest time, you know, Atlanta was the closest team, so I have a lot of relatives who are big uh, Falcons fans. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that was cool. I have some friends that live down in that area, too, and family. So, if you're a longtime listener to the show, uh, you might notice the voice, uh, the third person on this call. It's our good friend, Stephen. Uh, he's back to join us for our discussion of Diablo this month. So, welcome, Stephen. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, yeah, it should be fun to be back on the air with you guys. Yeah, we were really looking forward to it and miss having you around. So, Sean, you been up to anything lately? Uh, nothing too crazy. Just working, uh, trying to make some money, save up for uh, maybe a Nintendo Switch, maybe a PlayStation 4. I don't know. Nothing crazy going on in my life, though, honestly. How about you, Steven? Any big console pickups? Did you get a Switch by chance? No, I don't have one. A friend of mine has one. I got to play around with it for a few minutes, but... uh. It seems pretty cool, but yeah, I'll probably wait, probably at least till the end of the year to pick up a Switch. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. I'm thinking about, in the next few months, showing my kids like some videos of uh, games on the Switch. That way, uh, they'll be asking for it for Christmas, and I can go ahead and pick <laughs> it up this summer. <laughs> so right. I can beat the Christmas rush. So get them excited about something that I would like to have, and that way we can kind of kill two birds with one stone. I guess that's the way to do it, yeah. Hey, man, you got to use those kids for something, right? That's right. So how about pickups? Anybody picked up any cool stuff lately as far as games? Uh, Obviously, no Switches or PS4s. (laughs) (laughs) No, and once again, man, I'm sorry to give you all such a boring start to the show. I I had to rack my brain and look around. I really don't have any pickups worth mentioning except for maybe our playthrough game for next month, which I'm just going to say it's been out. As of this recording, it's been out for a while. It's Child of Light, uh, which I purchased a physical copy on the Vita. And that's about it. I did go thrifting for the first time in a very long time, but it was right after uh, South by Southwest, which was a huge music mm-hmm. festival in Austin. And there's tons of tourists in the city during that week-long festival. Mm-hmm. And I went thrifting right after it and everything was just wiped out it was amazing i never i've never seen my thrift stores so bare (laughs) so there was there was nothing to be found so but yeah child of light on the video uh, as we'll talk about a little bit later or in the what are you playing section pretty awesome (laughs) yeah yeah i'll be talking about that as well so did you attend south by southwest this year 
I've never bought a. They have a wristband that you buy that's that gets you into pretty much everything or all the normal shows, mm-hmm. and I've never been tempted enough to buy one. Mm-hmm. There's always free stuff going on. They actually did a free showing of the original Ghost in the Shell at a performance art center mm-hmm. in in the city, but I couldn't make it. It was like on a Tuesday night, and it was pretty late. That was the one thing that like piqued my interest, and I didn't even do that. So I didn't even know who was headlining South by Southwest this year. I don't even know, like, who they can... Because there's so many shows and it's so spread out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure somebody could be considered the de facto headliner. I know one of your favorite bands, Spoon, of course, Mm -hmm. had a a few shows around because they're they're from Austin. Yes, they are. They have a new album out. Mm Mm-hmm. So they played around, but it's kind of crazy. I can't even name, <laughs> you know, Kishibashi did a surprise show that I was like, oh man, I wish I could have seen that. Right. But that was the only thing that really piqued my interest. Yeah, it's funny, like these music festivals, I mean, it used to be a lot of like really good independent music, um, you know, like uh, Burning Man, Coachella, South by Southwest. And then all of a sudden, these bigger artists decided that they wanted to start cashing in on them. And, you know, now you've got big acts like Beyonce and Madonna and people like that. I don't know. If, not that I don't appreciate those artists or enjoy some of the music from those bigger artists, but it just kind of, I don't know, kind of deflates the experience for me or, you know, my desire to attend something like that. No, some of those things can be a little bit sold out, so to speak. Um, but you just reminded me one thing I like to do during South by is watch. Uh, like the Instagram stories of all the clubs. Like I follow a lot mm-hmm. of the bars and clubs on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And that way I kind of catch wind of like good bands. If I just see like a five second clip of some band playing and it looks interesting, I can go look them up. Cool. So that's awesome. I guess that's like kind of one good side effect of having South by going on. So yeah, really cool. How about you, Steven? Any recent pickups? Um, yeah, I got a couple interesting things. I uh, picked up, um, what's it called? Azure Dreams for the PlayStation. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, just a game that looked interesting to me. So uh just finally tracked that one down from eBay. And uh, I got a uh, Super Scope for the Super Nintendo from eBay, oh. uh, complete in box. It was, uh, I just I just wanted one all of a sudden because I, I used to have one when I was a kid. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember playing uh, Battle Clash a lot with it. And uh, so uh, just I wanted to track one down and see uh see how it holds up yeah you know i don't have one of those and it's just something i never had as a kid and none of my friends had one so Mm -hmm. i've never been in a rush to pick one up but if i saw one i definitely would they're much harder to find than say like an nes light gun so yeah now you said battle clash what were the other games that were made for that i know there's a yoshi game right right it's uh Yoshi Safari, is that that's it? it? That's it, yeah. Yoshi okay. Safari. There's a sequel to Battle Clash called Metal Combat, I think. Um, there were one or two more, but I, I, I don't really know. I, the only ones I had when I was a kid was Battle Clash and the, uh, the pack-in Super Scope cartridge. So what does, um, like a box Super Scope, what does that kind of set you back? I mean, you don't have to tell me what you paid, but what's the kind of uh, price range on that? Yeah, um, I usually see them going for between maybe 50 and $70. So okay. not not too bad um, for something, you know, that size and has a lot of a lot of parts. The one I picked up, I, I made sure it included everything and everything was in good condition. Um, it's a lot of them I saw, they had little pieces broken, like there's an attachable scope kind of thing that goes mm-hmm. on it. And uh, a lot of times that's a little broken or missing, like a little eyepiece or something. But I probably paid about 50 or 60 for mine. 
So not, oh, cool. not, not, it's not too bad for uh you know for for that sort of thing. So probably about twenty to thirty bucks loose, you'd say. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I didn't really um I'm not really one to get like complete in box stuff. That was just kind of the the best one I saw as far as like getting all the pieces and everything. Cool. Well, uh, I've had a pretty good month of pickups. I mean, if some of you follow me on Twitter, you probably know what my big pickup was. But one of my uh, most recent pickups was, uh, of course, several Vita games. I'm uh, really enjoying the Vita system. And uh, as Sean mentioned, we're playing Child of Light. And uh, I've been pretty much spending my uh, lunch breaks and the nights while my wife has been out of town playing uh, Child of Light and have really been enjoying that game. I'm probably up to about 25 Vita games and maybe four downloads. I had Hotline Miami, Axiom Verge, and Shovel Knight and the original Corpse Party already downloaded to my PS3. And so I was able to transfer those over to my Vita, which is uh, one of the things I really like about having the Vita. And then my kids watched Jurassic Park. It was either last weekend or two weekends ago. I can't remember. I think it might have been two weekends ago. They watched it for the first time. Jurassic Park's one of those movies where you just never know like what the appropriate age is to put your kids in front of the TV and let them watch it because it's somewhat violent, right? <laughs> so they watched that, and then immediately after that, I showed them our last guest, Pam's video on Jurassic Park Operation Genesis. And so immediately after watching that, my kids were like, oh, Dad, oh, Dad, we have to get that. Can we get that? And so I, of course, <clears throat> reluctantly um, picked that one up um, off of eBay. So uh, it looks like the price on that's dropped. It was at one time around 80 bucks, and uh, it's dropped to about half that now, which was uh, really nice to see. So yeah, That's good. Yeah, yeah. So I figured it was a good time to pick it up. Um, one of our site members, Tenstar, actually decided he wanted to sell uh, some of his Sega CD collection. So um, I had been looking for a few games, uh, still some out there I can't afford that I'm looking for, but he was able to sell me uh, Dark Wizard and uh, Soul Star, which are uh, two pretty cool games. Dark Wizard, of course, being one of those uh, strategic uh, role-playing games. And, uh, you know, after our last playthrough of Shining Force, I've kind of been into that and uh, picked up Vandal Hearts 1 and 2 recently. So, um that's kind of the route I would like to go, and hopefully we might fit in one of those games sometime this summer when we've got a little more time to play. So definitely be interested in doing that. And then, uh, yeah, that sounds awesome. Sorry, I was just saying we've we've been <laughs> chatting about this a lot, you know, on the private chat, and uh, I'm kind of psyched about playing a strategy RPG because I really have only ever played the most popular and recent Fire Emblem games, so mm -hmm. I definitely want to kind of spread my wings a little and feel around the genre a little bit more so i'm excited to try shining force or vandal hearts or whatever whichever one we end up doing yeah we keep kind of a list going um on our google doc and uh i think i've got like four rpgs set up for like the month of july you know to choose from so uh <laughs> so i'm definitely itching to play another epic rpg so that should be fun but my biggest pickup like i said if you follow me on twitter at the single banana, you'll notice I picked up a Flintstones 2. So, really stoked about that. Now, I'm one game away from having a licensed NES set, and uh, the only one left is Little Samson. I'm definitely hoping that um, I can maybe pick one of those up at Retro World Expo this year in Connecticut because I'm, I'm planning to go and fly back up there this year, spend time with the guys from the Collector Cast and uh, the guys from RF Generation. 
And um, I think it would be pretty cool to uh, finish off my collection while I'm there so I can celebrate with all those guys. Any listeners to the show, if you have a copy of Little Samson you're ready to get rid of and you're coming <laughs> to RWX, let me know. Send me a message. Uh, be glad to try to work something out and you can uh, be the person that helps me finish my Nintendo set. So that would be pretty special. So. You just uh, need to you need to show your kids a video of Little Samson, so they'll be like, "Dad, we need to get that game." And <laughs> you'd be like, "Well, I guess I have to now." It's <laughs> a great point, Stephen. It's <laughs> okay. funny, uh, but um, you know, other than that, I got some vinyl in the mail. I picked up the new Snatcher release that shipped to shore, printed. I know that Moonshake Records was going to do Snatcher at one time, had mentioned it, but I don't think they could get the copyright information or the approval to do that. And so it's like ship to shore, pick that up. And that's a really awesome soundtrack. and really happy to have that. Have you ever played the game, Rich? I have not. I have not played the oh, game. okay. Mm-mm. Me neither. I, I've watched a million YouTube videos on it, and of course I'm fascinated by it because it's uh, Hideo Kojima. I never had mm-hmm. the ability to play it until recently with my hacked Wii that we've spoken about. Mm-hmm. It has a really good Sega CD emulation on it. So yeah. I want to play that at some point. I don't know if that would work as a playthrough because it's very pricey and nobody owns a Sega CD. Although, actually, a lot of people on our site do. I shouldn't say that. But, yeah, I don't know if that would make a good playthrough. But maybe you and I could play it around the same time so just we could talk about it. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, I would like to do that. I also don't have it. So, I mean, I don't know how I would end up playing it either. I'm not sure, like, why it's considered the best for that system. There are there are a lot of those types of games on that system. But I know there are cheaper games, like Rise of the Dragon, that's, I think, around 20 bucks. Um, and so maybe we could do that hmm. sometime. Sort of a um, similar game that's that's not so expensive. I mean, of course, Hideo Kojima being involved in that is probably what makes that game excessively expensive. Plus the, uh, the sort of um, cyberpunk type adventure you know which was really popular during that time and and sort of still is yeah steven have you ever played this game no um i'm not hugely familiar with it i mean just just know that it's a expensive sega cd game made by kojima but uh other than that i'm not very familiar with it but you have a sega cd don't you i do but i I don't have snatcher oh okay yeah it's jumping up there i don't know what it's at now last i saw was around 400 but i think it's even more now, it's just uh, wow. hmm. yeah, just the popularity of it has just made it shoot through the roof. Everybody trying to track down a copy. But um, other than that, I picked up the latest data disc release on vinyl, which was Galaxy Force 2 and Thunderblade. It's just one vinyl, but it's two-sided with Galaxy Force 2 on one side and Thunderblade on the other, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, data disc has been putting out some great stuff. This was their 10th release, and uh, it's pretty cool to see them put two games with really good soundtracks, but you know, not excessively long soundtracks on the same uh, vinyl. And so that that was really cool, and I'm happy to have that. So, yeah, that's it for pickups. That's pretty good, though. I'll, I'll have to say it's a pretty good month. Yeah, congratulations on the uh, Dinosaur Peak. I, I, I want to rewind a little. Can you explain? Maybe some people don't know mm-hmm. about that game. Like that That's a pretty hard-to-find title, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's one of the rarer titles on the system, along with Little Samson. Um, un- unfortunately, you know, I kind of went the route that most people do is that you know, kind of picking up all the games that I really like at first, deciding I want to collect the entire set, and then just starting to pick up cheap games as quick as I could. 
probably the smarter way to have started collecting would have been to go for the expensive ones first. And I know um, that Kelsey from uh, the Collector Cast, that's what he did. And so he had a much easier time toward the end and, and probably saved a lot of money doing that. But yeah, this is one of the uh, tougher to find pricier games on the system. But, um, you know, I've been kind of watching the prices and it looks like this game and even Little Samson have started to plateau a little bit. And so because they've plateaued, there's been a lot of people kind of undercutting. And so it was a good time to pick this one up. And I definitely got it a few hundred dollars actually below what I had planned to pay for it or what my sort of max was. So I'm really happy about that. So um, I think it's a good deal, but, you know, to each their own. I know people probably think I'm ridiculous for purchasing a game like that. Yeah, it probably... I do, but I think if it makes you happy, then that's the most important part, you know? Right. It's, it's right. your money, it's your game. Like, if that exchange makes you happy, then it's worth it for you. Sure, sure. Right. There's there's worse things I could be spending my money on, I suppose. So uh, Definitely. That, that's kind of the way I look at it. And so, um, yeah, it, it's fun, and I'm really excited about wrapping this collection up. But thank you, I appreciate that. So, other than Child of Light, which I'm sure Sean's going to be talking about, is there anything else you guys have been playing this month? Um, I've mostly been playing uh, Yakuza 0 on the PlayStation 4. Oh, baby, <laughs> another guest on the show was playing Yakuza 0 before I got to. <laughs> yeah, it's got like a, a prequel game to the series. I think this might actually be my favorite game in the series so far. Oh, oh wow. God damn, Rich, I'm getting a PS4. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Switch. <laughs> hey, if, yeah, if you're going to get a PS4, I think now now's about the time to do it. It's a lot of good games out for it now. Yeah, that's for sure. That's one massive leg up it has on the Switch. Right, yeah. You've been a fan of the series for a while, Steven? Or? I started with the third game on the PlayStation 3 um, back in... It was probably like 2010 or so when I played it. I'm not sure what year it actually came out. But yeah, I never played one and two, mostly because I've uh, watched some gameplay videos on YouTube of those games. And since we're on the PlayStation mm -hmm. 2, there's a lot of loading. Like every time you get into like a little fight on the street, it has to go to like a separate loading screen. And then the game or the uh, uh, the fight starts up and it seemed uh, like it'd be kind of tedious. But uh, that's why I always hope those HD uh, remasters would come out because I heard they uh, did away with those loading screens, so it's much more uh, faster and streamlined. Mm -hmm. But they just won't bring them out in North America. I don't know. They released them in Japan. They, they haven't bothered to localize them. But uh, the good news is that uh, the first game is getting a full-on remake on PS4. I think it comes out sometime this year, so I'll finally be able to play that one. Oh, very cool. They need to remake the second one. That way the price of it goes down. <laughs> yeah. Yes, too. <laughs> oh, Steven, was, is that all you're playing, Yakuza 0? Um, I've been playing Dragon Quest five like off and on since December or January, and I'm just about finished with it. Um, I'm like at the final dungeon. Are you playing the original Famicom, like with a fan patch or, or Super Famicom? I'm playing the uh, DS version. Okay, cool. I like it. We've talked about this on the show, the, those remakes on the DS mm -hmm. and how good they supposedly are. Yeah, that's why I always try to play what's considered to be the, uh, you know, the quote unquote best version of a game. So I feel like I'm getting the best experience. But uh, yeah, I think that was the most popular opinion was that the DS version was the way to go. So I do have it on the Super Famicom, but yeah, yeah I went for the DS version. Cool. It's awesome. 
I guess I'll go next. Um, I got four games listed that I've played in the past month or so. Just a couple other things here and there, but I either couldn't remember them or they're not worth mentioning. So the first <laughs> thing I played, <laughs> the first thing that's worth mentioning is uh, Kenka Boncho Badass Rumble, mm-hmm. which my review of this game is my latest on RF Generation on the, the blog. So check that out. It's a really cool uh, just kind of an open world brawler. It's actually a lot like Yakuza, which I wrote about in the article. Um, it's kind of like a Yakuza light, just portable little bite-sized areas and, you know, the brawling and the fighting and there's a lot of comedy and it's just really deep in Japanese culture. It's set in Japan and they use all kinds of like slang and Japanese catchphrases and it's, it's pretty awesome. I loved it. I also played through a game on the Genesis called Crusader of Senti, which was published by Atlas, so that's kind of why it caught my eye. It's not like super well-known, I think, but basically it's one of Sega's answers to Link to the Past. It's very Zelda-ish. The graphics are amazing. It's very cute. And as you play, you have these animal friends who come with you. Like, I've read a lot about how this game was, like, designed for children. And thusly, it's a very easy game. It's pretty short for what is kind of like an RPG. Again, it's along the lines of Link to the Past or Illusion of Gaia. It's not like a hard RPG. It's more of an action adventure with some RPG elements. Um, But it's very cute. The graphics and music are amazing. It was very just, like, relaxing and nice to play. Um, if you want to play the actual card, it's kind of hard to find and very expensive. So of course it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, you know, just play it however you see fit kind of thing. But yeah, cool, cool, cute little game. Yeah. That's the one you contacted me about. I believe you'd asked me if I'd ever played it and I said, no, I've never even heard about it. Yeah. No, I, I think you would like it a lot if you gave it a shot. Cause, uh, it's just really cute. I mean, just the animals, you have to like look up some gameplay online. The way the animals follow you, they just like are in this V formation behind you and they turn when you turn. It's it's very <laughs> it's weird looking but great at the same time. Very cool. And they uh they give you like special powers like fire or running fast. Like all your power ups come from them. It's really cool. So this next one is kind of like a disappointment to me, unfortunately. This game Metro twenty thirty three has come so highly recommended to me over so many years since it came out uh, back in 2010. And I'm almost to the end of it now, and I just can't wait for it to be over. It's not the worst game I ever played by any means. It's a quality game, and I can see why people who like it, why they do. Mm -hmm. But it's just one of those games where there's no map. Like I can't tell you how many times I've had to look on a walkthrough, uh, watch a YouTube video to find out where I need to go. That is so tedious and just always frustrates the hell out of me. So, I mean, the shooting is cool. The the action is great. The weapons are very unique because they're all, like, kind of homemade because it takes place in this, like, post-apocalyptic version of Russia. And you have these pre-war bullets, which are also your currency. So you can shoot them, and they're very powerful, but you can also use them to buy scrap bullets or other weapons. And, you know, there's a cool economy in the game, but... Just the complete lack of direction and lack of a map is kind of killing it for me. So, I don't know. Have have either one of you played this game? No. Yeah, I played it um, a couple years ago. I uh, I really like that game. So. <laughs> yeah. No. And see, I <laughs> I had a feeling you might say that, and that's fine. Like I yeah. 
I honestly, I don't even want to like turn anybody off of this game just because I didn't like it. That's kind of how I feel like mm-hmm. it, it's almost like like upper tier, like cerebral first person shooters. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's almost like a Bioshock. Yeah. And if somebody was like, well, I hated Bioshock for this, this and this reason, I would be like, OK, but it's one of the best games ever made. Sorry. <laughs> so I could see like someone disagreeing with me on this one. So, yeah, it's it's not as straightforward as you know a lot of other first person shooters there's a little more depth to it um yeah i liked it so (laughs) oh that's cool um all right so yeah moving on i mentioned that we're we're playing child of light next month and i've been playing that on my vita every night and i'm almost done with it actually and it is so good i mean i don't want to spoil too much for the forums or (laughs) or the (laughs) podcast for next month but man this game is amazing like it deserves all the nines and tens reviews that it got and uh, definitely so far is living up to the hype for me. And for those who don't know, this was actually developed and published by Ubisoft, who are better known for like Assassin's Creed and Far Cry. Yeah. But they made this 2D side-scrolling RPG that is... Uh, I'm kind of hesitant to call it like a Metroidvania because there's not a huge exploration element to mm-hmm. it, but... There's a little bit of that, but then there's a turn-based battle system, which is kind of time-based. There's a lot of there's like a meter that you have to be aware of, and you can get knocked off the meter and have to like recoup, and you don't even get to do your attack kind of thing. And it's pretty addictive. Again, not a game that's like super challenging. If you kind of get used to the systems, there's like ample opportunities to stay healed at all times Mm -hmm. and kind of run the table once you know what you're doing. But uh. I just love it. And Rich, I know you're having a heck of a time with it as well. And I'll pass it to you. That's that's all I had to say about uh, what I'm playing now. So if you want to chime in. The only two things that I've been playing is, of course, uh, Diablo for the playthrough. And then I picked up Child of Light probably three or four days ago. And I just have to say, uh, I mean, you're exactly right. I, I played it and I think I contacted you after I'd made it to like the third section of the game. I think there's 10 sections to the game. I made it to the third section. I was like, man, this game is beautiful. And, you know, the combat for me is a little tougher. I'm more of a retro gamer. So things with thumbsticks, I typically have a lot of problems with. I know that sounds crazy, but I've just not played a lot of games using thumbsticks. But um, I'm up to chapter five now. And I got to say, I mean, I'm getting used to it, understanding the combat and how it works a lot better now. And... I am really, really enjoying this game. It is one of the most beautiful games I've ever played. I mean, just doing like a little more exploring like you talked about. Um, mm-hmm. the, the different areas are just so beautiful um, and sublime at the same time. They're just really colorful and peaceful and serene looking. But at the same time, they're like jagged and uh, very existential. And so it's really, really awesome. It's just... Uh, a beautiful game. So I, I don't want to talk too much about it. I know we've got a podcast about <laughs> it uh, next month and uh, you know, my opinion could completely change, but um, if it stays on the path that it's going now, it's uh, probably going to be one of the top games we maybe play this year. So um, I'm really enjoying that a lot. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Steven, are you, I, I know you chimed in on the forum. Have you played this already or you're going to join us this month? Yeah, I was planning on uh, joining in next month. I haven't played it yet. I I did pick up a copy for the Vita, so I'll be playing it um, on the Vita. But uh, 
Yeah, it's one of those games that just seems like it, the consensus is unanimously positive. So those are always intriguing. Yeah. Like everybody says, it's amazing. So I gotta gotta check it out. Yeah, uh, a sentence I thought I would never say is, uh, "It looks like we're all planted on the Vita." Right, which is <laughs> yeah, pretty, awesome. pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, and just to mention it, um, you know, I recently picked up a Vita, and man, I am really enjoying this. It has become like my favorite handheld. I love it. I was in my retro game store yesterday, and uh, the owner was there. I don't see him that much, but I, I got to run into him, and we're friends. And uh, he was asking me what we're playing, and I was mentioning Child of Light next month, and that I just bought a Vita. And we just started talking and we were just like, man, I, I love this system. And he's like, oh, I do too. And he's like, I don't find many people that really like this system that much. It's one of those things. I think it's going to be that system like down the road, you know, 20 years from now, the people are going to be really looking for and trying oh, to yeah. find a nice one and just wondering like why people didn't jump on board. I know people complain like about the library and it not having a lot of games, but I'm up to like 25 games right now that I really like. And um, to me, it's like where you draw the line. Like how many games does a system have to have to justify the price of the system? For me, if it's got like 10 games on it that, you know, are worth playing, sometimes it, it's worth it, you know, that experience and, and not being left behind on that. So, um, yeah, it's it's got the most beautiful graphics I've ever seen on a handheld. Uh, the battery life is incredible on it. No complaints on this end. I'm playing a lot more, and I'm playing that 2DS that I got. So That's awesome. Yeah, and I got to say, the notion that the Vita doesn't have any games is so far outdated that anybody who thinks that just, uh, I, like, I can't take seriously <laughs> as, like, somebody who has an opinion on video games because, like you said, you just started collecting. You have over 25 games in your collection, like, there's a lot I can't even keep up with. I can't afford to buy all the Vita games that I want to. And I'm seeing what you're seeing, Rich. I think this system down the road is going to be very collectible. And also there are tons and tons. I was talking about it last month of like niche Japanese anime, like the nichiest of the niche games that nobody's going to buy mm -hmm. now. You know what I mean? Yep. Except for like Takus and Weebs like me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and those are the games that are going to be probably sought after down the road. So Yeah. And I mean, people talking about the system being dead. I mean, it's completely ridiculous. I mean, they're still making new games with this system. Like what's the name? Uh, Limited Run. You know, is yeah. making games for this system, like incredible stuff, uh, porting it over to the system. So there's a lot of goodness out there for this system. And um, I just think more people should give it a try and probably are going to regret selling this system down the road. Yeah. So now what are you playing on the 2DS? Anything good? Uh, I'm still playing through um, Ultimate Remix, Ultimate NES Remix. Oh, cool. And just really cool. enjoying that a lot. Unlocking you know, new games and levels and, you know, trying to three-star everything. So that's fun, and uh, that's been quite of a challenge. Just kind of going back to my Nintendo roots and playing some of those games again, it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, that's about it, you know, with uh, Child of Light and Diablo, which I've uh, done two playthroughs of uh, Diablo this month. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, that's kept me somewhat busy. So uh, that's all the games I've been playing.
But uh, anyway, speaking of Diablo, let's uh, let's go ahead and start talking about it. Um, I'll go ahead and rattle off the uh, participants that we had this month. I I'll go ahead and say that um, we sort of had an idea that this might be uh, a very popular playthrough when I sort of proposed the idea of playing Diablo. Didn't we think about playing it last year? Was it like November or October we thought about playing it, Sean? Yeah, I feel like we've been floating Diablo around for quite a while. And it was, yeah, sometime, some point last year we started talking about it. You know what? It was November because we talked about playing it for our 100th game. That's what it was. Uh, yeah, that's right. That was in that short list of like, you know, top tier premium games that we wanted to make it good. So what do we do? Heavy Rain? We did Still Heavy Rain. Good. Yeah. Yeah, but... And we got Diablo now, so it was it was worth a wait. So yeah, and uh, it's just really been nice seeing like some of the older gamers kind of crawling out of the woodwork to play this, and just you know just getting real excited about playing it. People that haven't maybe played a, a lot of playthroughs with us, and maybe played a few, and then you know some of our old reliable playthrough guys as well and girls. Uh, this month we had uh, participation from Addicted, Buried on Mars. Crabmaster2000 joined us. Uh, of course, Steven, Disposed Hero. Uh, Dougley007, of course, he plays about all of our playthroughs. Ghost 81 uh, Neo Magic Warrior, Noise Redux. Pam joined us for this one as well. Red McKnight, Russ Lyman, myself, and even Wild Bill52 from uh, the Collector Cast joined us. So we had two out of three members from the Collector Cast join us this month. And, uh, I think uh, pretty much everyone has been very involved in the forums. I think we're up to like eight or nine pages on Diablo now, which is really nice. Yeah, that's pretty awesome participation. I wonder how that ranks as far as most members playing, because that's a lot. Yeah, it's probably up there. I, I can't remember what our most played game was. It might have been uh, Super Mario 3, Super Mario World. I know we had really good participation for that one. Uh, sure. But... Uh, but yeah, um, it's been great. I, I think there was some concern at first about being able to play this on PC because the newer systems and new PCs and programs, you know, these discs are outdated. I mean, this game's 20 years old, if you can believe that. And uh, But yeah. we had some great participation on the forums. Uh, one of our members, Addicted, who played it, gave a really nice, like, broken-down tutorial of how to get this thing to run. And... Uh, that was really awesome. I just want to take a second to thank him for that. So we appreciate that. Yeah, that helped me get mine running. I had the resolution problem, so I had to download that patch that he linked to. And uh, yeah, Addicted Rules, man. He's one of my favorite members on the forum because he's just so super knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. And he's been on the show, on yep. a show that I wasn't on. And I <laughs> still regret that. We're going to have to get him back on yeah. because I'd really like to chew the fat with him about something because he's really sharp and it, it's really cool to have him you know when when he participates in the games it's awesome yeah we had him on for our east episode last year east books one and two so i think that was yeah. maybe our april game from last year so if you haven't listened to that show definitely check that one out uh he was a great guest um just a little info about this game. It was, of course, developed by Blizzard North and released by Blizzard Entertainment. Of course, Blizzard now known for such games as World of Warcraft is probably their biggest title. But, you know, Diablo and StarCraft and the original Warcraft were some of their earlier titles. And I think games that PC-wise have really held up over the years. 
It was released by Blizzard on December 31st of 1996. No idea why they didn't wait one more day to release this thing in 97, but that was the release date. An expansion pack entitled Diablo Hellfire was released in 1997 by Sierra Entertainment, and we'll talk about Hellfire a little bit in our conversation. In 1998, the PlayStation 1 version was developed by Climax Studios and published by EA. This game was awarded GameSpot's Game of the Year Award for 1996. And as of January 7, 2013, Diablo has had GameSpot's number one spot of all PC games with a score of 9.6 out of 10. In 2005, uh, GameSpot chose the game as one of the greatest games of all time. And for Diablo's 20th anniversary, Diablo 3 received a free patch called the Darkening of Tristam that basically created the original game, which that would be interesting to play. I think, Sean, you sold me your copy of Diablo 3, right? Yeah, we'll talk about it later when we get into our history. But yeah, you have my copy that I had. So Very cool. <laughs> that patch uh, contains like a 16-level dungeon, the four main bosses from the... 96 version and special graphic filters and eight direction limited movement, just like the original game. Let's see, the test patch was released on November 11, 2016 on the public test realm server. And as of August 29, 2001, Diablo has sold 2.5 million copies worldwide. It's kind of important to note, too, the game was originally turn-based, like an RPG, but changed to more like a real-time RPG later on in development, and from what I understand, um, this was sort of due to their success with the early Warcraft games, which were just kind of tower defense sort of strategy games. It has two sequels, Diablo 2, which came out in 2000, and then 12 years later, Diablo 3 was released. So that is a kind of short history of this game that has a pretty uh, stellar history, and uh, you know, definitely an award-winning game that. If you mention the original Diablo, people pretty much know what you're talking about, especially people our age. I, I want to hear what you guys sort of uh, first experiences or histories are with this game. Steven, you want to go first? Sure. Um, I actually bought the original Diablo back on the uh, PlayStation when I was a kid. But oh. um, yeah, I, I didn't play it very much, though, because, you know, despite the fact that you guys know that I love my survival horror games now... Uh, I was a huge wuss as a kid, so uh, I, I didn't play like scary <laughs> games, and uh, Diablo kind of scared me, so I didn't play it very much. But uh, this is my first real experience playing Diablo, but uh, since then, over the years, I have played Diablo 2 and 3 and really enjoyed those games, so it just uh, seemed appropriate that I'd go back and play the original. Very cool. How about you, Sean? So I have obviously have heard of this game my whole life since it's been out, but even back when I was younger and did play some PC games, they were mostly like point and click adventure games or like some platformers like Commander Keen or the early first person shooters. Never really played computer RPGs when I was younger. So my history of Diablo starts with Diablo 3, which I played almost exactly a year ago and almost in exactly in the same way, which is in the morning before I went to work. <laughs> so it's kind of neat to go back to the original. I always like when we do that for the, for the playthroughs, playing a previous entry in a series that I'm familiar with and kind of going back and getting that perspective. So 
I don't have a, any kind of personal history with it except for kind of diving into Diablo 3 last year. So that's Fair. it. Very cool. Now, did you play the patched version of the uh, the Darkenium Tristam when you played it, or did you just play through the the regular game? No, I I had never even heard of that, and I wonder would that even be available on the PS3 version? Because that's what I played it on, and I, I wonder if that's like a PC only thing. Because most patches, like mods, like that, mm. kind of are, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's a great point. Now, how does the third game compare to this one? I mean, is it similar as far as like the you know, like sort of the overhead view, or is it more of a um, a third person or first person type game? The General feel of the game is similar, but it's way smoother and obviously modernized. Mm -hmm. And the game, the art style is a lot more colorful, which is something that Blizzard was actually kind of criticized for at the time. But they Mm kind of shot back and said, like, guys, I think the the one developer said, colors are our friends. (laughs) 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 Like, that's an actual (laughs) quote from him. But um, that third game is just way smoother, way more modern, not as clunky. And, and of course, we could look at Diablo 1 and call it clunky in retrospect. And I, I'm not disrespecting the fact that it in 1996, this was way ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah. But uh, obviously, Diablo 3 moves a lot faster and is smoother. Mm-hmm. And you can use more special attacks no matter what class you are so you'll you'll have like crazy magic even if you're the warrior class or whatever so yeah it's a lot more blending of that kind of stuff yeah i think you mentioned that the the movement's a little slow in this game especially around town i felt like the movement in the the dungeons was pretty quick and satisfying compared to you know how the monsters um, inside the dungeons move but definitely I, i think there are spaces where this game could have been tightened up a little bit as far as speed yeah, well, the PS1 version has a fast mode, so oh. that, that's one thing it has going for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I understand there's a, there's several other differences, too, and I'm sure we'll get into that. I did not play the PS1 version, um, and I'm, I'm curious, did, did all of us, did we all play this on PC? Did anyone play this on PS1? Yeah, I played it on PC, yeah. Yeah, I tried to play it on PC, had trouble getting it running. Tried playing it on PS1. It, it was a terrible experience. Tried again to get it running on PC. <laughs> Had a friend of mine from work help me and, and also with Addicted's help on the forum. Yeah. Finally, finally got it run. I was ready to give up, man. I was sad almost. Like, <laughs> oh man, like how the heck am I going to play this game? Uh, but finally got it running and had mostly a pretty good time. So Good, good. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about my uh, personal history with the game really quick. I guess it kind of starts back, you know, when I was younger and uh, just playing some D&D when I was in Boy Scouts. And um, I was probably 12, 13 years old when I, you know, had my first experience uh, doing that. And I really enjoyed that. I always thought it was a lot of fun. Fast forward to my freshman year of college during my spare time in the computer lab, and sometimes not during my spare time, probably sometimes I should have been studying, two guys I had gone to high school with attended the same university, and we played this um, online MUD called T-Dome. Do you guys ever have any experiences with any of the online MUDs? No, I have not. Okay. Well, basically what those are are text-only adventures. So it's like you're playing a role-playing game. You can move from room to room, but when you move to a room, it will throw out like a uh, a text that tells you like 
what room you're in, you know, and describes it and what's going on in the room. So I kind of got into that when I was in college. And then a few years later, my first roommate, my junior year that I moved in with, had a computer and he had Diablo. And that was my first time ever playing Diablo. And uh, coming from a background of uh, really enjoying D&D and uh, D&D type games like uh, T-Dome, it was a very addictive game for me. And uh, I played the crap out of it. I was terrible at it, but I played a ton of it in between classes. But anyway, I'll talk a little bit about the story of the game. After eons of war between angels and demons, the ascension of man prompted the three lords of hell, including Diablo, to seek victory through influence, prompting their exile into the mortal realm. There they sowed chaos, distrust, and hatred among the humans until a group of magi called the Horadrim trapped them in enchanted crystals called soul stones. Diablo's soul stone was buried deep in the earth, and a monastery was built over the site. Generations passed, and the purpose of the monastery was forgotten. A small town named Tristram sprang up next to the monastery's ruins, and when King Leoric rebuilt the monastery as a cathedral, Diablo manipulated its archbishop, Lazarus, to destroy his soulstone prison. Diablo subsequently possessed the king, sending out his knights and priests to battle against peaceful kingdoms, and then possessed the king's son, Prince Albrecht, and filled the caves and catacombs beneath the cathedral with creatures formed from the young boy's nightmares. And um, I'll just mention that this story set up came from Wikipedia. That's where I took it from. So I'm not taking any credit for that. But the story in itself is a little disjointed. I don't know how you guys felt about it and sort of the presentation of the story during the game. So I wanted to talk about that for a minute. But that was kind of the reason I had to go to Wikipedia to sort of piece it together. Because even when I finished the game, I wasn't sure kind of what the complete story was to it. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. I wasn't really following it much during the course of the game. It's kind of presented through some of the villagers telling you things and some of the books you can read. But I don't know, it doesn't really go out of its way to explain mm-hmm. a lot of things to you about what's going on. Yeah, to me, I was just going through a dungeon killing monsters. That's pretty much what the <laughs> what the story was for me. But How about you, Sean? What did you think of the story? I got to agree with Steven. I kind of played this. I mean, it just washed over me, basically. I, I didn't mind the color commentary from the NPCs, but mm-hmm. the voice acting is not bad, but borderline cheesy and annoying at parts. So that kind of even takes some more away from it <laughs> in making me care. So are you, are you saying you didn't like Sean Connery, the elder? Oh, man, that was the worst. <laughs> Stay a while and listen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it was a little hard to care, honestly. I think Steven put it really well. The story to me is getting that dungeon and kill monsters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's just one of those games where the story's not really the point. Yeah, it's definitely heavily action-based. I agree. I like the story, though. I mean, it's a good story. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if it was very well implemented into the game digging through like books and things like that and it's sort of a slow reveal right i mean you get some of the story at the beginning and kind of piecemeal it as you go through and if you happen to skip something that's part of the story that you miss when i finished i had sort of a vague idea of what was going on but it was like i said so piecemeal that i couldn't put anything very cohesive together so i had to do a little research and, and find out what it was all about so i wanted to move on and maybe talk a little bit about the characters 
as I mentioned before, this game is very D&D based in many aspects. You have three characters that you can choose from in the normal edition of Diablo. You have the warrior, you have the rogue, and you have the wizard. Each of these characters can use certain weapons and items and has different types of special abilities. It seems that in the Hellfire edition they added the monk, but you could also play as a bard or a barbarian by hacking the game. They were sort of hidden in the code um, and I think were intended to be in the game, but they only decided to release one new class called the monk. So that's um, pretty neat. Um, So which characters did you guys play as? Yeah, I played the entire game as the warrior. I did play a little bit with the rogue and the wizard, mm-hmm. just like maybe one one level in the dungeon, but mostly just the warrior for me. Okay, and you finished the game with him, right? Right, yeah. All right. How about you, Sean? I played as the warrior. I did the same thing Steven did, though. I When I was fooling around with the PlayStation 1 version, I played as the rogue because that's the female character. And... I actually like the element of the she uses a bow and arrow and the projectile weapon presents a totally different strategies. But like I said, I had my troubles with the PS1 version and by then I was so fed up that I ended up going with the warrior just because I thought it would be easier, quite frankly, to play as the warrior. So mm-hmm. that's what I did. I also started out as a warrior and reasons being because I remember playing this game years ago and just having so much frustration with it. And I'm pretty sure I played as the rogue and the wizard early on, you know, 20 years ago when I was playing this game. And I wanted to seek the path of least frustration in my first play through this game because my goal was just to finish it. I just wanted to beat Diablo. I wanted to be able to say I'd beaten this game. And so, of course, I went with the warrior as well, which I think is the easiest class to play. The only frustrating part of being the warrior is the inability to um, really attack ranged enemies. They love to run from you, and a lot of times they will run into other mobs, and uh, before you know it, you're kind of surrounded. So that was probably my only gripe about playing a class without a ranged weapon. But I have to say that one of the things that people sort of applaud about this game is the ability for all the characters to use magic. Of course, the wizard has the most powerful magic, but you can also upgrade your magic with your warrior or your rogue. Did any of you do that in the game? Yeah, I did a little magic. I I liked having a healing spell first and foremost, uh, but I also used firewall quite a bit. I I had one of the lightning spells too, but I I didn't really use it at all. I started putting a little bit of points into my magic stat, so I, I, I did get the healing spell, but I felt like, I guess maybe my magic stat was so low that I would just use it once and all my mana would be gone. So, <laughs> you know, it didn't seem very helpful, but I, I do wish I invested a little more into it so I would have had a uh, some kind of a ranged spell, because like you said, trying to chase down those ranged enemies uh, can be a real pain. So I think having a, a spell to use as a ranged attack would have been really helpful. I was just going to say, one strategy I used for kind of buffing magic or, or like cheesing learning magic spells when you get the books you see what kind of magic is required and then i had some mace or an axe that was like the magical axe magic plus 40 so i would just equip that read the book and then drop it so that's how i got some of my more powerful spells again flame wall level two was a big big help for me because that actually gives you crowd control when you don't actually have like a doorway or an obstacle so that's one way to kind of work the system, so to speak. 
man, I didn't even think about doing anything like that. I just, I just went full physical. I, I didn't cast any spells at all with my warrior. I just uh, threw up the money and just kept buying healing pots the whole time. That was uh, one of the sort of annoyances in the game was having to go back to town so much and you know picking up those pots. But uh, I, I just sort of went full force with that character and, and pretty much the same thing with my rogue. Which, kind of looking back, I, I wish I would have spent a little bit of um, points on magic. So I guess we should say like that every time you level up, you basically get five skill points that you can put in different categories. I'm trying to think of what those five categories are. Let's see, there's what? Uh, strength, right? Yeah, strength, uh, magic, uh, vitality. Dexterity. Was there something else, or were there only four categories? I think there might have been a fifth one, but I'm not positive. So, again, like, these characters are very D&D-based. So, of course, the warrior's biggest attribute and the, the place you want to put your most points into strength, because he's just sort of a big tank, and uh, health. And then with the rogue, it's more of dexterity, right? Dexterity helps with hitting, I think. Yeah, your accuracy goes up, and dexterity lets you use higher-level weapons... I mean, you need strength for a lot of them, but you also need dexterity for some of the more attractive ones, let's say. Yeah, yeah, especially like the bows and things like that, like yeah. the ranged weapons. Uh, yeah, because like with big axes and things like that, I think those require like a lot of strength. I think at one point, one's like 80 strength. So all characters can use magic, but definitely the wizard can use more. There's like a ceiling for uh, magic for the rogue and for the warrior that they can't go beyond. I guess you can if you have like a stat increase, like a weapon like mm. you were talking about. Uh, you can kind of go beyond that, but most of the time you cannot go beyond a certain ceiling for the, each character, which kind of gives you an idea of where you need to put your points. There are somewhat weapon and armor limitations in the game. I know the wizard is the only one I think that can use the staff, and of course, I don't think the wizard can wear anything... Um, Steven, you can speak to this. Can't wear anything leather or mail, correct? Um, I, I'm not sure. I didn't even uh, play far <laughs> enough as the wizard to find any <laughs> anything uh, like that that I couldn't equip, so I'm not sure. I believe that's typically how that works. I didn't play as the wizard. I didn't have time to play as that character. So from what I do remember, the wizard has to basically stay with cloth items. characters are cool but you have these npcs that are in the town and i guess we should mention also that this game consists of one town and one dungeon so you have to deal with these people for the entire length of the game and it's kind of funny i was i was reading a guide where 
the the writer of the guide ranked the npcs by usefulness and there's a few that are zero like absolutely useless uh they can just give you some yeah some color commentary that is not even important like the drunk guy by the river but there are some really key npcs uh I, i'm i'm not going to do good with their names but you have a blacksmith you have the the guy who appraises mm-hmm. all your items and we'll explain that in a minute and then you have uh, the healer mm-hmm. guy who sells you all your healing items. Uh, you have the witch who lives out on the outskirts of town, which is kind of cool. Uh, I like that, like contextually, like she wouldn't just be hanging out in the town. And then there's the kid who lives up in the rocks who sells you crappy items for exorbitant amount of money. So, <laughs> <laughs> Wirt, Wirt, yes. Wirt the peg-legged boy. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a neutral milk hotel yeah. song. And then you, you you also have the barmaid and the innkeeper, but they don't provide too much. They can give you quests at certain points in the game, but that's about it. So Yeah. Yeah, the NPCs are an interesting bunch, but again, the range of usefulness between them is kind of funny. Like I went through the whole game basically dealing with Kane the Elder, the blacksmith, and the healer. And visiting the witch anytime I had like a staff that I wanted to sell because only she will buy them. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my one gripe about the game is having to walk all the way out there to sell her like magic books or staffs that might be worth some good coin. But I'm kind of like you at the same time in that contextually, that's pretty cool. However, if you played as the wizard, you would have to go out there all the time and recharge your staff. Plus, you would have to keep coming back into town to sell all your stuff. I wish that you could have at least sold like all of your sellable items to either her or the blacksmith. I wish it wasn't sort of divided up that way. It makes sense, of course, logically in the game, but I wish that there was some other way that they could have done that to make it a little less aggravating. Yeah. Steven, what did you think about the town and the NPCs? Yeah, I just have to pretty much echo what you guys said. Uh, I only talked to maybe half of them because you know I needed to buy potions from the healer or get my uh, special items identified or every now and then take a trip to see the witch to buy uh, town portal scrolls. Very important. Um, yeah. Don't leave home without it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I always make sure I had uh, at, least a, at least a couple on me. But uh, I think I would check their dialogue every now and then just to see if any like little side quests were popping up or anything. But uh, usually there there wasn't anything. And but yeah, I just kind of agree with you guys. They they don't really say much of importance, and a couple of them have their utility. But uh, kind of is what it is. Word. So you mentioned uh, identifying the items, and there's also like a durability rating for each item this game for how old it is there really are a lot of systems at play here and rich you mentioned on the forum early on and this is a great tip it's very important to get all of your items appraised yes and each appraisal if you don't do it yourself or it's actually called identify so anytime you have an item that shows up in blue and it says unidentified you have to bring that to that cane the elder Costs 100 gold every time, which at first seems like a lot, but you just get used to it and you'll be making bank halfway through the game anyway. You have to do that if you want to make any kind of money for your loot because something that's unidentified is basically worthless, but something that's identified can be upwards of 10,000 gold when you sell it to the blacksmith or the Mm -hmm. witch. Yeah, I don't think I had any item that I got identified for 100 gold that didn't sell for over 100 gold or, you know, several hundred gold. So it's, it's totally worth having everything identified. 
Yeah, for sure. So that's where the blacksmith also comes into play with the systems of the game. And if you play as a warrior, you have this skill that's in the magic spells category, but it's a skill that you have that's item repair. However, if you repair the item yourself, your overall durability goes down one point. So if you have a sword that's a total durability of 50 and your possible durability is like 30 and you want to repair it, you're going to knock your overall possible durability down to 49 so i tended to only use that skill in emergencies when i really didn't want to lose a weapon because if it the durability goes down too far you just lose the item it gets destroyed so you're better off kind of keeping track of your durability of your helmet your armor your shields your weapons and that can cost a pretty penny when you start repairing everything at once especially if you just got your butt kicked down in the dungeon (laughs) but uh, you don't want to be losing good weapons, so you got to visit him and, and pay up. And I'll say one good thing about the game is that when your durability starts getting low on your items, there's these little icons that'll pop up and just show like a red icon of your weapon or your armor to let you know that your durability is starting to lapse, that you know you either need to use a portal spell and get out of there and get repaired really quick, Or, like you said, you need to just use your um, repair item if you're playing the warrior and uh, fix that, you know, in a pinch. So I did like that about the game. I have played games that they don't let you know when your durability is going down and you just lose a weapon that you really love. And that really sucks. So, yeah, kudos for them for putting that in there. Yeah, very true. So now... You got to kind of keep an eye on your items, and the way you do that is with the inventory system. It's grid-based. There's, I think it's like a 12 by 5 grid on Mm -hmm. the bottom, and there's also like your body and head and both of your arms. Also, you can wear two rings and an amulet. So there's a lot of possibilities here to mix and match all these different items and You know, Diablo now is known as a loot game, and I think obviously it got its roots here because there's a lot of treasure to find, a lot of gold, but there's also all these items to find and put all over your character and use to buff your attributes, or you could just use these items to sell. But you have limited inventory space, and one of the games within the game is managing that space. And man, I really wish... Uh, Steven is going to know about this, but in Resident Evil 4, it's a very similar system. It's a grid system, but you can turn all your items and kind of Tetris them into that case. (laughs) Right. In Diablo, you cannot do that. Every item is oriented the way it's oriented, and you cannot twist or turn anything to make it fit. So you'll end up discarding some stuff. The good news is if you really, really need like a bunch of stuff that you can't carry, everything in this game is persistent. So if you drop something on the floor, you can come back to it. And this is very helpful if you are overloaded with gold, for example. You can just leave it on the floor, (laughs) uh, the ground, I should say, in the town, and it will be there for the whole game. Yeah, that is one honest tale. Yeah, I was going to say, those NPCs we talked about are very trustworthy, I guess. So, yeah, what did you guys think about the inventory system? Like I said, it's a game within a game. you got to make decisions on the fly. What am I going to keep? I just picked this thing up. Do I dump it? It's not identified or it is identified. It's junk. Just get rid of it. Like, there's a lot of that going on at all times, right? 
I think there's a fine balance of deciding what to keep and what to throw away, like you said, and you kind of understand like what's going to be worth the most. If you're carrying around like something that's unidentified, you kind of know that that's going to be worth a good bit once it's identified. If you pick up a robe that's just a normal robe as compared to like plate mail or something like that, you obviously know which one's going to sell for more. Kind of becomes a common sense thing. But yeah, I mean, there are times when I had issues with fitting everything into my inventory and probably used a lot more town portal spells than I would have liked to to build up my gold in this game. Yeah, and I think we should probably clarify real quick. I want to ask Stephen about the inventory system. But first, we should say that town portals are what you can use. As you go down into the dungeon, every like five or so levels you go down, there becomes a new entrance into the dungeon that will take you back to the town. But when you're in those in-between floors, if you are in trouble, you're in trouble because you can't do anything if you don't have a town portal, which can be cast by the caster. Because I know I picked up a staff of town portal at one point. But you can also use the scrolls. They're dropped a lot by the enemies, but you can also buy them from the witch. So that's why we were saying earlier, make sure you are carrying at least one or two of those. Because you're going to want to just pop in and out of the town to heal up and gear up and sell your stuff and clear your inventory. But yeah, Stephen, how did you feel about the inventory system in general and the whole loot game that was going on here? Yeah, I I found it kind of tedious, I guess, um, just trying to sort out everything in my inventory. And um, your inventory space is so limited. Later in the game, I would end up just leaving a lot of things in the dungeon um, because I I knew I wasn't going to use them. And uh, at this point, I had so much money that I didn't need to worry about selling those things. I would have preferred probably if it just used like a a weight system, like each, each item has a like a, a weight associated with it and you can carry so much weight and you don't have to sort it all out. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, I think Diablo 3 did that. Yeah, that kind of rings a bell. I know all the Bethesda games are like that, right? Like Fallout. Um, right, yeah, right, I, right, I, yeah. Man, I vaguely remember something like that in Fallout 3, so you might be right. But yeah, that, that might have helped a little bit. I yeah. don't know. Even in, in a game so old, they probably make that really restrictive. You know, it's it's kind of part of the challenge of the game, you know. And I guess I should mention, too, as far as the inventory system goes, you had like 10 spaces that were outside of your inventory bag that were mapped to hotkeys. And you could only put like potions mm-hmm. and scrolls in those. But that was kind of nice that that wasn't a part of your full inventory. Yeah, it's basically extra inventory. It's like an add-on section for you. So one of my favorite parts of the items was the attributes and the stat buffing. And this was a huge, huge part of my game because I always went for the items and the amulets and rings that buffed my character the most. Mm -hmm. So... I had rings that just gave me plus 10 vitality and another one was plus 14 dexterity and I had a sword that was plus strength and plus dexterity and I was just beefing myself up so much through my armor and accessories that at certain points, especially during the bulk of like the middle of the game, I was really running the table just being so powered up from all these items. I'm curious if you guys had a similar experience or were you going more for just the highest damage, let's say, uh, when you were looking at weapons and items? No, I'm kind of similar to you. I mean, I would always try to keep things that were going to help buff the specific characteristics of my 
character, you know, with my warrior, I was always tried to go with like strength and vitality, you know, things with increased magic, I completely ignored. And one of the things I just wanted to mention real quick was it was nice that you could pull up your two menus, like your character menu with your traits, and then your inventory menu up at the same time. They kind of like fit really nicely on the screen right beside of each other. So you could pull off and put on your armor or your weapons, and you could watch your stats change, and you could sort of decide which was going to benefit your character more. I don't know. I may be the only one that did that. No, I use that a lot. That helped me a lot to tweak and min-max all my status uh, ability points. Those ability points are like gold, man. You yeah. gotta, <laughs> you gotta really use them correctly. And if you do, you can again, you can be really powerful. I actually had, I don't know if you guys know about this, but there's one side quest where you get an item called a uh, spectral elixir, and it gives you plus three to everything. Hmm. But there's a glitch in the game that if you don't drink it immediately when you get it, you cannot drink it. So I had this thing and I thought, well, I'm going to wait till I'm like in between leveling so that when I do this permanent buff, it like, you know, it'll help me more or what. I don't know what I was really thinking. Like, <laughs> but so I went on my merry way and when I tried to drink it, I couldn't. And I found out it's a, it's like one of the very few glitches in the game is that if you don't just drink it right away, you can't. So I was so mad, like, oh, man, I, I lost an opportunity <laughs> to have plus three to everything permanently and I didn't do it. So that's that's funny. Those those skill points are. They're just gold in this game. you got to really manage them properly. And there's all kinds of strategies online. Uh, I mean, I read stuff. Or maybe Rich, maybe you even posted it. Like, every time you level up, put one into Vitality or your HP is not going to keep up with the game. And I think that's, like, pretty sound advice for this game. Yeah. You can really, like, screw yourself over if you don't put stats into the right categories, if you don't know what you're doing. And I think that was probably my frustration with the game. When I was playing it, you know, 20 years ago, I just wasn't smart about what I was doing or paid enough attention to that portion of the game. And if you don't do it right, um, you're really going to uh, take a beating toward the end of the game. Yeah, very true. So you guys want to move along to the general gameplay or Steven, you sound like you got something else to say here. Well, I was just maybe chime in on how I did the stats too, but I mostly just did what you guys did. Um playing as the warrior, assigning stat points to strength and vitality and dexterity and uh, going for the uh, armor and weapons that gave those bonuses as well. But uh, I think it was late in the game. I uh, I started looking for items that gave some uh, lightning resistance because in the later dungeons, there's all those like wizard guys who shoot lightning at you. And they were like, they were really hitting me hard when I first went in those places. But then I, uh, you know, started using some lightning resistance and, uh, made those guys a lot more manageable. But it's probably like the only exception to going for strength and vitality and dexterity. Yeah, that's a great point. I was doing that too. I realized like toward the end of the game, obviously I'm fighting Diablo, duh. So I'm, I'm thinking I'm probably going to have to have some fire resist. So as I was playing through the game and I would pick up something with some heavy fire resist, whether it being like rings or, you know, a sword or armor, I would keep that and I would just throw it down in town so that I would have it toward the end of the game if I happened to need it. 
I ended up really not using it that much just because some of it was so much crappier than what I already had weapon-wise that it didn't make a lot of sense to um, sacrifice that power and, uh, you know, that damage for a little bit of damage resistance. Right, yeah. Nice. So let's move on to the general gameplay of the game. I mean, we've touched on a lot of things so far already. And I did mention that the game takes place entirely in one dungeon and you only have one town that you can go to. So this is uh, different from a lot of RPGs, both modern and classic. The dungeon itself has 16 floors. There are 24 total if you have the Hellfire expansion, but the base game is 16. They're divided up into four areas, starting with the cathedral, then going into the catacombs, into the caves, and then finally hell. And like I said, each one of those sections has its own separate entrance back to the town. So that can be useful if you're in that area, but you still got to have that town portal. The areas get different as you go down, and they get scarier, if you ask me, (laughs) as you go down. Um, and so also the, the extra two areas you get with hellfire would be the nest and the crypt. So your basic goal, I mean, you're doing quests as the people in the town can give them to you, but you are trying to clear each floor and just get down to it. And as I mentioned, everything in this game is completely persistent, including enemies. So there's no respawns. The strategy that we talked about on the forum was you better find and kill every moving thing in these dungeons <laughs> to make sure you keep leveling up and to make sure that they don't surprise you as you're exploring or coming back up to get supplies or whatever. So, yeah, Rich, that was really good advice. I mean, did you play the whole game that way? There, there were times where I was just getting kind of frustrated, passed by some enemies or whatever. But in general, it was like, gotta kill everything. Yeah, no, I I did play the game that way. And again, you know, I mentioned that there were some mistakes that I made very early on as far as playing this game when I was younger. And one of those was I wasn't clearing all the levels. It's so tempting a lot of times because the stairs from floor to floor can be very close sometimes. Sometimes right next to each other, literally. Absolutely. And the reason for that is so if you don't have town portal spells, the backtracking won't be so brutal. But when I was playing this when I was younger, I was like, oh, I can just go over here and I'm already at the next level, right? So you're not thinking about the more stuff you clear, the more leveling you're going to do, and the more attributes you're going to add. And you're going to need those attributes for those lower levels. And um, one thing we didn't mention is if you die in this game, you lose all your armor and weapons and all your gold. And it just falls in that one spot. Mm. And if you haven't saved your game or if you're jumping down to levels where you shouldn't be, you may not be able to recollect any of that stuff. (laughs) So um, you can really put yourself into a bind by not clearing each level as you go down. Yeah, or saving constantly, which is what I did. (laughs) So, I I mean, I'm like every time I was clearing a room, uh, you know, towards the beginning of the game, I was saving. But, uh, Stephen, what was your strategy? I know you're like the completionist guy. You kill them all or were you (laughs) being more strategic about it? No, I I went through every floor and killed everything. Yeah, just like you said, save often and uh, which is a good thing about playing this game on the pc is that you can just at any time bring up the menu hit save and it does it instantly you can save anywhere at any time so i've heard the playstation version has really bad load times 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was Sean's big yeah. frustration. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was the main reason I stopped playing. It literally takes like a minute or maybe more to save. And I mean, I said on the forum, I could go make a sandwich every time I want to save the game. And that's just not for my style of play where I'm just like very methodical and saving all the time. And uh, okay, like I killed one really hard guy. I'm going to save. I got this room clear. I'm going to save. Like can't, can't do it that way in PS1. So yeah, PC, you can just do it on the fly and it's almost instantaneous. But with the PlayStation, you to understand most of the memory cards for the PlayStation had 15 blocks of memory on them. Diablo takes up 10. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, you have to have a memory card specifically for that game, which is just yeah. completely ridiculous. <laughs> the fast saving uh, kind of played into how I played the game, which was typically in short bursts. A lot of times I'd only play maybe 10 or 20 minutes at a time and because you're able to save anywhere at any time and it was so quick to do so, you know, it made it a really easy game to just kind of pick up and play and just play for a little while and didn't have to be this hour long thing you had to sit down and play through in order to get something out of it. Very true. And on on the PS1 version also, I should mention, there's this weird system where you have to save the game and save the character, which I read a few like forum posts, not on our forums, but on other message boards about like what that is and how it works. And I still don't really understand it. And the best thing I could figure out was just save them both. You're going to need them both. And that just makes the saving time take even Mm -hmm. longer because you have to save your game and then save your character. And it's just like, what is this nonsense? I don't get it. This is one case, like I'm not like a PC gamer at all. And I, I'm one of those people that kind of, Oh, PC master race. Like it's a joke to me. I like to play console games. I like a controller in my hand. I know you can do that with PC, but this, this game we should mention is like almost, a hundred percent played on your mouse there are hotkeys on the keyboard but you better be ready to click thousands and thousands of times i have a funny story about that really quick (laughs) yeah go ahead (laughs) so i I typically played this game like downstairs in front of the tv with just you know background stuff going on but one night i was playing it and we have a desk in our bedroom and the desk is sort of right beside the bed very close to it and my wife was going to sleep And I had my headphones on and I just kept like playing it. And this is a very like clicky game. And I was playing as the rogue. So you can imagine how much clicking I was doing. And I looked over and just saw her giving me like this death stare. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and I was like, okay, maybe it's time to put it away for the night. (laughs) That's funny. Now, I'm curious, did either one of you guys play the way I did, which is to say with the map over the screen about 75%? About 100% of the time. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, that's cool. I mean, that's funny to hear that y'all did that as well, because I felt like part of the sense of completion or achievement in the game was clearing the map and make it an all form in front Mm -hmm. of me as I was playing. So I only turned it off in some rare instances where I couldn't see what was going on. So, Stephen, it sounds like you did the same. Yeah, I kept the map on it, I think, all the time. I don't think I ever turned it off. Um, But yeah, I... uh used it to help clear out the areas and made sure I explored every little nook and cranny. And it feels necessary because a lot of the levels are so maze-like that, uh, you know, you get mm-hmm. you can get lost so easily. But uh, when you first turn it on, it, it looks kind of like a mess because it can obscure your vision. It's just, you know, lines all over your screen, but you just get used to it after a while. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I think after a while you get really used to it. It becomes very non-intrusive and it just feels right. I thought it was a really well done system to just kind of have it on top of you and have you as that arrow so that you knew which direction you were going in areas that you hadn't explored yet. You know, you could tell there was the open spots that you haven't reached that wall yet. So there are possibly more enemies and you hadn't cleared out that level yet. So, yeah, I mean... Kudos. I mean, it's very simple and primitive, but uh, it really works well with this game, I thought. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I mean, I guess we can move on to uh, the enemies and get into some of the boss battles in this game uh, since we're already talking about the gameplay. I found that the general enemies were mostly like fantasy or gothic themed. There's a lot of skeletons, obviously, a lot of demons. Uh, there's these like witches that are these winged like sexy women who are really annoying towards the end <laughs> the of the game. Us, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and um, there's a bunch of other things of wizards that uh, Stephen mentioned. I thought for an older game, the enemy variety was kind of just fine. I, it obviously could have been way better, but for a game like this. I mean, who knows what kind of memory they were working with in 1996 and how much they could actually do. I never got bored with the enemy variety. What did you guys think about just the normal enemies? I thought, uh, like you mentioned, I thought it was a, a nice variety. You get all types of different enemies, and there are some palette swaps at some points in the game, but... Um, Overall, there's not that many. Like each one may have like three at most, like palette swaps as you go down through the dungeon. My favorites probably were the ghouls that would disappear and reappear in front of you because when you would like take them down, their heads would sort of fall off and their bodies would just like sort of collapse. I don't know if you remember those guys or not. There were some on one level that were like bright yellow or bright green. I thought those were pretty cool. Yeah, I do remember those. What about you, Steven? You like the normal enemies at all or the variety therein? Yeah, I had to agree with you guys. I thought there was a pretty impressive variety considering the you know the time which this game came out and uh I like that it seemed like there was never a point where the game just stopped introducing new enemy sprites or models. They just uh like even in the very late parts of the game I was still seeing like new enemy types. Yeah, like like Rich said, there were a few palette swaps, but uh, overall I thought it was uh, pretty well done. Yeah, especially when you get down to like the caves, you start seeing some enemies that are much larger, like in girth, like those big winged like demons and those horned enemies are like kind of rhinos that would charge you down low. Right. I yeah. thought that was pretty yeah. cool uh, to actually see them in, you know, sort of increase in size and be sort of a bigger and I think scarier presence in the game. Yeah, and speaking of scary presences in the game, we have a few boss battles here, and I feel it's important to mention at this point that the questing in this mm -hmm. game is random, right, Rich? You can have a different playthrough each time, and you might not get one or two of these bosses. Yeah, it seems like for most areas and trying to map out some achievements for this game, I had to really look into that. It seems like each area, which is based on four floors that we mentioned before, each area has probably about three quests, and you usually get two out of the three quests each time you play through the game. So it's kind of nice, you know, each time you play through the game, you're getting a different experience, which sort of increases the replayability of the game. I mean, you can play as a different class, of course, which gives you an entirely different experience. 
But, you know, having different quests is uh, nice as well. And then we were speaking of the enemies. The enemies actually can change through playthroughs as well. A lot of times you're not getting the same enemies that you had the last time you played the game. And that's something I didn't really realize about the game until I did a little bit of reading about it. Very cool. Now, one of the more talked about ones on the forums was the butcher and <laughs> steven i think you mentioned that you didn't get the butcher in your first playthrough but did you encounter him in any of your subsequent experiments with the game or you're right i, I didn't uh, get the butcher quest during my main playthrough i did initiate the quest on one of those little trial runs i did with the other characters but i don't think i even made it far enough to uh get to the actual butcher part I did see it on uh, on YouTube. I watched a little playthrough just to see that part of the game. And I'm pretty sure the Butcher, and I think all these bosses we have listed here, I think they uh, appeared in Diablo 3. So I, I remember him from Diablo 3, but uh, yeah, I didn't see him in this game. Nice. Yeah, you're right. Again, another thing I vaguely remember from Diablo 3. Now, all these things are starting to come together. I'm going to have to go play that game again. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Butcher was actually my favorite uh, boss, and I encountered him in both. I played far enough into the PS1 version to get to him, and I also got his as my first quest when I was playing the PC game. And I loved it because he comes out in a very scary fashion uh, when you're exploring that first section of the dungeon it very much looks like a classic dungeon crawler dungeon but you find him in this room that is just filled with gore and chopped up bodies and it's really disgusting and when you open the door he says "Ooh, fresh meats and he comes <laughs> right after you and it's it's scary as all it hell really and i loved it ah, fresh meat he's on the second floor so i mean you encounter him very early and I just remember coming across that guy back in the day and it just scaring the hell out of me. You know, I mean, it's it's scary because it's just this little room and you're not really expecting it. If you know the layout of the game as I did this time playing it, I knew I was like, OK, I'm going to leave that door closed. I'm going to go level up a few times, maybe come back after I clear like the fifth or sixth floor and take this guy out because he's very strong, too. He hits really hard. But um, as the warrior, he's a good guy to take down because he drops his uh, cleaver. And uh, that was a weapon I used through most of the game. Oh, wow. I, I had it, but I didn't use it at all, to be honest. I, I must have had something that was better, honestly, like just stat-wise mm. or, you know, with buffs. Yeah, you can actually get that weapon identified. I, I don't know if a lot of people think that, like, it's a special weapon and, you know, maybe don't get it identified. But you can, and it has some, like, extra special stats on it, which is pretty nice. Yeah, I think it has like um either an infinite or like a really high durability, doesn't it? Or yeah, so that's definitely a plus. Mm -hmm. So about the other bosses, I don't want to kind of gloss over them, but like King Leoric is a skeleton and he spawns other skeletons, a little bit of a pain in the butt, but not too hard. And Lazarus is a wizard. The challenging part to him is he disappears and reappears around the the room. Mm -hmm. So let's just tackle these guys both at the same time. Uh, I liked the Lazarus fight because it was something different. I felt like after the Butcher King Leoric was kind of not a letdown, but it was like, oh, this, the previous guy was tougher. Yeah, you know, yeah. so are King Leoric and Lazarus both also like optional or are they core missions or whatever? Um, King Leoric is actually a quest. And so in both of my playthroughs, I never got that one. 
So, but I, oh, but I've okay. played it in the past before. Lazarus is the uh, is the priest, so that is definitely um, one that you have to battle. He's the priest before you go down to the level to fight Diablo. Oh, right, right. I'm actually confusing him with somebody else. Uh, uh, I must have fought a boss that we're we're not even talking about, who was also a wizard yes. who was disappearing and. Yeah, yeah, that's an optional fight. Yeah, you have to knock his book off the bookcase and you fight him. I, I can't remember yes. his name, but yeah. No, me neither. And then we, we also had, um, what's his name? Galad the Weak. Mm-hmm. His side quest is kind of funny where he's just like, listen, please don't kill me. I'll make you a weapon. And then you go back, you talk to him like three times and he's like, I'm still working on the weapon. Please don't kill me. Finally, he says, this weapon's too good for you. You're going to have to fight me for it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I actually didn't know what happened with that guy because I found him, but uh, he's like, don't kill me. I was like, okay, so I left, and I, I never knew what, figured out what happens with that. So Yeah, you just have to go off screen. You don't have to go that far away from uh-huh. him, um, but just take him off screen and then walk back. If you do it, like, I think it's like four or five times, then he'll end up fighting you and, and drop something. But yeah. even when he drops, it's not that great from what I remember. I guess I just thought that uh, if I didn't kill him, he would... Uh, appear somewhere later in the game mm-hmm. and yep. reward me or something but uh that that doesn't happen so yep that happened to I me guess i missed out <laughs> that happened to me i actually had to look <laughs> that quest up to see what to do yeah so of course we can't talk about boss battles without talking about the final boss himself which is the game's namesake diablo the devil so i think the general consensus here i don't want to steal anybody's thunder is that all the work getting up to diablo is probably harder than actually fighting him and (laughs) i think we all talked about all you got to do is just run up and spam attack him until he goes down and uh that's what worked for me i don't know about you guys but it was definitely way 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 harder getting to diablo than it was to actually fight him when you finally do so thoughts on that yeah i i agree actually when i first saw diablo i went into that large room i didn't know he was going to be in there and there was all these enemies and all of a sudden this big demon comes out i'm like like, oh crap was that diablo (laughs) so i started um you know there's so many enemies and they're hitting me hard so i I knew i couldn't kill them there so i just fell back and went to like the uh back to the hallway yeah and uh diablo was the only one that followed me out so (laughs) i just i just got him alone and I just started hitting him. He wasn't even hitting me back uh, like he was trying to, but maybe I was interrupting his attacks, I guess. I don't I don't know what's happening, but he's just complete pushover. I had the same experience, Steven. I mean, I kind of went in that room maybe thinking that he might be in that room, but just being surprised by all mm-hmm. the, um, the ads that he had around him, all those casters. Mm-hmm. And so I ran out as well and just kind of kited him out of the room. And it was just a one-on-one fight, which was odd because through most of the game, when you pull some enemies away, they're usually going to all follow you. Whoever sees you is usually going to follow you. But with that battle, mm-hmm. um, you could just pull them out of the room and, like like Sean said, into another hallway and just you know have a one-on-one battle with him. I probably used about maybe three health pots to take him down, but that's about it. I mean, it was pretty quick battle, made quick work of him. So, so cool. I mean, it's it's kind of unfortunate i guess that the final boss was not something more but i'm not disappointed or i'm not like criticizing the game for it i think that's part of what makes this game a product of its time and we'll get to my like criticisms of the overabundance of enemies towards the end of the game but uh we've already talked about quite a few of our strategies or 
ways we play the game or our little tricks, as you could call mm-hmm. it. But one of my favorites, we can touch on a few more here, using doorways and just funneling enemies through the doorways one by one and just letting them walk into your sword or axe or whatever it was, mm-hmm. like lambs to a slaughter. Like This was a key strategy for me and at least in the beginning of the game towards the end of the game you can't do it too much because it's just wide open spaces right. and not that many doorways or obstacles but uh yeah i was kind of glad when i mentioned on the forum that i was doing this and it's actually a very common strategy rich i know you're you're a fan of this one oh as yeah well. big fan of that one i was just going to mention that that's one of the things that I did before this playthrough started was that I compiled a list of tips and tricks and put it under a spoiler tag on the forum. So if if people wanted to look at it, they could. If they chose not to, they didn't have to. But that was sort of based on my like overall frustration when I was younger. And I just wanted to make sure that everyone, you know, had an easier time. I definitely used the doorway trick. Uh, That was key. And it's a great way to keep you from really getting surrounded. Uh, A lot of times you have to sort of retreat a little bit in order to avoid getting surrounded or find a doorway. One of the things I liked about the game was like when you would kill an enemy in the doorway, the door would no longer close. I don't know if you guys saw that or not. Oh, is that what made that happen? Because I, I know the doors like get, I forget what it says, jammed or stuck right. or whatever. I didn't realize that that's what <laughs> yeah. does it. That's kind of a funny thing. Like, oh, monster guts are gumming that's up the right. works here. You can't close the door. <laughs> yep, that's exactly it. <laughs> Another really important part of this strategy that I learned later on when you posted it on the forum, Rich, is that holding the shift key keeps your character in the same spot because... When you're doing the door strategy, you're going crazy clicking. And if you move your character by accident, you can open the floodgates and they'll, the, all the other enemies will come in at you. And one way to get killed quickly is to let yourself get surrounded by enemies. So the, the sh- holding the shift key, even as a warrior, um, because it's a useful strategy for the ranged attacks to keep your character still, but it also worked very well for the warrior. So, Stephen, did you do the following through a doorway strategy at all, or were you more brave in your attacks? <laughs> were you more bold with just taking on mobs of enemies? No, I didn't really use the doorway trick that much um, because I wasn't aware of the uh, the trick of holding the shift key. Um, so what, what would end up happening to me a lot of times is while I was trying to uh, attack all those monsters coming through the door, I would end up walking through the door and just being surrounded by all the enemies. More often, I would use corners with walls to uh, trick the enemies into coming uh, around corners and then attacking them. That way, if I did kind of move, I wouldn't be surrounded. But, but uh, yeah, that's that's why the door trick didn't really work for me. That's very interesting. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I found myself kind of slipping and sliding a little bit when my clicks got a little crazy. But uh, yeah. I still tried to do it wherever I could. Uh, but it is, you're right, it's disastrous if you, like we said, if you move or if you actually go out the door again, <laughs> that you're, you're really in trouble when that happens. But uh, yeah, so cool. I mean, as we've clearly gone over, there's a lot of uh, little mini strats that you can use in this game, and they're really required to have a good time, let's say. And uh, that kind of brings me to two major points that I specifically wanted to make, and it's things that I've talked about on the forum, and we can maybe elaborate just a little bit on these things. And actually, they kind of dovetail with each other. 
And it's just the actual flow of the game itself and then the abrupt kind of roadblock that I felt I was hitting <laughs> around level 14. And when I say level 14, I actually uh, mean floor 14. I tried to use the word floor on the forum to not confuse it with character level, like when your character levels yeah. up. But people generally call them the levels of the dungeon as well. So obviously that's not really too confusing for people. But anyway, I was told once upon a time before I started really playing RPGs, I mentioned on the show quite a few times, I didn't really get into RPGs until about the year 2011, 2012. Never played them as a kid, never really played them in my adult life until that point. And it was explained to me that in a Japanese RPG, the game starts off easy and the difficulty curve slopes upward as you get towards the end of the game. But in a Western RPG, the difficulty starts at the beginning of the game and slopes down as your character gets more powerful. And I found that to be especially true in this game. This this game pr pretty much holds to that until the very end. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to mention that because it's not true for every game, of course, but it was just kind of funny that playing this game made me remember that because I don't play tons of Western uh, or North American RPGs or whatever you want to call them uh, since maybe Fallout 4 or whatever the last Dragon Age game was, which I didn't even finish. So I just wanted to mention that. I don't know if either one of you guys has any commentary on that. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on comparing JRPGs with Western RPGs, but I thought that was a nice little anecdote that applies to this game. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I've never really heard it put that way before about the, the difficulty curves, but I, yeah, I think it's very appropriate for both of those style of games. And, and I, I agree here where Diablo does start off hard and gets easier as you go along, and then the, those final floors are pretty challenging. Yeah, Rich, any thoughts on that assessment of the, the genres there? No, I mean, I think it's a great point that you bring up, and I definitely saw... Like like you said at the beginning of the game, we mentioned the butcher battle. I mean, that's you know a really rough fight to be at the beginning of a game like this, and you know you're trying to get settled in. You don't have a lot of life at the beginning, so there is a lot of difficulty at the beginning of the game. But the the middle of the game flows really well. It tends to be easy. You don't really get stuck. But toward the end of the game, you do start having a few problems. And I think one of the things that you had mentioned was. Um, especially with the caves and, and hell, a lot of the areas are open, so you don't have that ability to use doorways. Uh, you have to retreat a little more. You have to try to pull just a few mobs at a time if you can, like if you can pull into a screen. You, you can't venture out too far. And so I, I kind of feel like my strategy later on in the game changed a lot in that I would try to only attract maybe two or three mobs at one time, retreat, have them follow me or pull them around a corner and uh, sort of rinse and repeat that way. So yeah, having said all that, I, I want to just kind of bring it back around to like my one major criticism of the game and that is those last three floors, 14 mm -hmm. through 16. I really feel like almost, <laughs> I don't want to say betrayed, that's like a really strong word, but Man, I was having such a good time with this game until that point. And I would really get up very early in the morning. My wife wakes up at 4 a.m. to start getting ready for work every day, Monday through Friday. So 
I will most of the time get up out of bed after she does because it wakes me up when she gets up. So I most days would look forward to having a nice hot black cup of coffee in front of me and firing up Diablo and going to town and actually going to the dungeon, <laughs> like <laughs> going to Tristan the town and going to town in the dungeon. Um, but yeah, I felt like I was I was having a really good experience, especially after all the troubles I had actually just starting the game and getting into it and, you know, all this PS1 BS and uh, getting it running on the PC and all those troubles. The flow of the game between, let's say, after you level up, beat the butcher, go through the fourth and fifth floor, then you start to get a lot of gold saved up, you start to get good equipment, you start to get the hang of the skill point system and level up your character... And like I said, between levels 8 and like 11, 12, I just felt like I was powerful. I was running the table. I wasn't overpowered by any stretch of the imagination, but I felt like I was like playing the game with a certain amount of skill and acuity that I was able to learn the game, so to speak, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. But then what happens at level 14 is the game just throws all these weird like spammy projectile enemies and you were mentioning the enemies that run away from you and it's just so excruciatingly annoying <laughs> and the difficulty spike on the 15th and especially the 16th which is the final level is just amazing like you have to literally have your entire inventory filled up with healing items you have to kill it feels like hundreds of enemies and I feel like the time that it took me to play from levels 6 through, you know, 11 or 12, it took me the same amount of time to clear 14, 15, and 16. And I realize I'm kind of, like, babbling here, so I want to, like, wrap this thought up. But what did you guys feel like? Did you feel like me where you feel like, holy crap, I've hit a brick wall at this point. <laughs> I'm ripping my damn hair out. I just want to finish this game now. Like killing all the goodwill that it earned with the entire game up to this point do you guys feel as as aggravated as me about that or is it just me well maybe i'm not as aggravated as you but i definitely uh felt that way as we mentioned before a big part of the game is having to use like town portals to go back to town and i felt like i probably did that eight or nine times per level in those later levels because I would have to go back, stock up on potions, and maybe stock up on some more town portal scrolls. And so it was very slow going, I guess I want to say. And it was very tedious. As I mentioned just a few minutes ago, like I would pull like little parts of mobs out uh, mm -hmm. at a time and it, because you couldn't you couldn't just rush in like you could a lot of times because the areas were so open if you tried to rush in you would just get bombarded with you know casters and you would go down really quick and so yeah there was a very tedious nature toward the end of the game that was really frustrating and uh, sort of aggravating and I'm like you Sean I just kind of wanted it to be over I was like I'm, I'm finally going to get the Diablo is it going to be over and then when you finally get to him like you mentioned before it's sort of like this kind of joke of a fight yeah I mean it, it is a little frustrating but at the same time very relieving and uh, felt like a great sense of accomplishment beating the game though yeah 
That is true. What What do you think, Stephen? Am I on the ball here, or am I just blowing smoke? No, I think everything you said is true. I I, I don't think I had as much of a shift in perspective in the, on this game as much as you did. I, I guess I just uh, went in those rooms and got bombarded by the enemies and just... I don't know, just, I guess it still just felt like Diablo to me, but uh, it was rough because, I mean, those rooms were, were very large. There weren't, you know, like you said, no way to funnel the enemies and um, just a ton of enemies. Like, you'd walk into a room and you'd have, like, 10 or 15 red fireballs and 10 or 15 lightning bolts <laughs> flying at you simultaneously. And this is the part I was talking about when I said that I, uh, you know, upped my lightning resistance because that helped a lot uh, dealing with those wizard enemies. But, yeah, even when you tried to kill them, the... You know, the, the succubus enemies would run away and the wizard guys could like teleport around and yeah, it was kind of a nightmare, but I uh, just kind of had to do the best I could to lure some out and take them out one at a time. It was rough. And like Rich said, it's such a stark contrast to fighting Diablo himself because he's, he's so easy after this uh, kind of nightmare that the game puts you through. Well, I just want to say thank you guys for letting me vent that particular <laughs> uh, frustration I had with the game. And it's very therapeutic to hear that, you know, you guys kind of don't disagree with me. And I appreciate that. So I want to kind of pass it back to Rich for, for the next segment, because I know, Rich, you put a really nice post on the forum about how the music in this game makes you feel. So uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, just a little bit about the music and sound of the game. The soundtrack was composed by Matt Yuleman, and this series was actually recognized with the first inaugural Excellence in Audio Award by the IGDA in 2001. Stephen had mentioned previously in this podcast that one of the things that kept him from playing Diablo uh, when he was younger is he hated survival horror. I guess I never really looked at this game as a survival horror game. For me, it was more like Dungeons and Dragons, you know. But I think what really separates this game and what gives it the ability to put it in that survival horror category is not only the gothic nature of the enemies, but also the music. The music in this game is completely brilliant. I spent the other day at work with headphones in just listening to the soundtrack. And it is completely creepy, especially when you can listen to it without the sound of arrows firing or uh, your character grunting after getting hit. <laughs> just taking the time to listen to the soundtrack, it is just a real piece of art. I love the stringed instruments. It gives it a really medieval type sound. I think someone asked, where does this game take place? You're really never given a specific geographic location, but it may just be me, but I kind of felt like it was sort of like medieval Europe is kind of the feeling I got from the game. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, like you said, it is generally like a Dungeons and Dragons skin, basically, but it's mm -hmm. way more gothic and horror yeah. influenced. Yeah, and I think the music is what really drives that. The atmosphere created by the music and, you know, that idea of having limited sight creates this huge sense of, like, apprehensiveness. And you're just wondering what's going to come running out at you from around every corner. But the music is what really, I feel like, intensifies that in the game. Like I said, there's just sort of this mix of, like, stringed instruments. It's really beautiful. The town music's awesome. 
And then the dungeon music is just sort of this like screeching sound of like people yelling. And then sometimes you hear babies crying, which is just freaky and people moaning. And oh, man, to me, it's just terrifying. It's so well done. Yeah, I, I got to agree. And I just want to point out, I love the town music the most because it's like this haunting, like acoustic guitar. But yeah, that was my favorite. I don't want to dwell too much on it. But yeah, aside from the voice acting, the sound effects, the sound design overall in this game is is pretty awesome. And uh, I definitely enjoyed it all. So um, yeah, I don't know, Steven, I know you got to have an appreciation for this music. Yeah, I'm with you. I like that. That town theme is is easily my favorite. And I I love the guitar in it. One thing I was actually just listening to the um, I think Rich had posted a link on the forum of the the, the soundtrack on on YouTube. And uh, one thing I realized is that uh, there's not like a lot of distinct tracks in the game. Like there's only like a handful, really. But each one is four or five minutes long, which is Mm -hmm. A lot different than other video games where the music is maybe 30 seconds to a minute or something and it's just looped over and over. And here you get these longer tracks and there's actually a good bit of variety within each track. So it doesn't it doesn't feel monotonous or anything, um, despite there being only maybe seven or eight tracks in the whole game or something like yeah. that. Yeah. No, man, that's a fantastic point. You're right. I mean, they are like five or six you know minute tracks and they're looped, but... There's so much variance in each track, so much change, that yeah. it, it does not become monotonous. Um, it, it really flows really well, and that's that's really surprising when you think about it that way. So yeah, that's a great point. I guess we're we're at the point we could kind of start wrapping up the conversation on Diablo. Now, Rich, I, I think you might be the only one who's really qualified here to kind of, well, maybe Steven, but certainly not me, to explain <laughs> the ending of this game. Um, I actually watched it a few times, and I I think I get the gist of it, but I'm, I'm going to definitely punt to you to explain the ending of this game. 
Yeah, so you kill Diablo and you realize that underneath is a human body because when that soul stone was destroyed, he had to find a human presence and that was the king's son. And so that's ultimately who you destroy at the end of it. And so Diablo, it seems, is compressed back into this soul stone. Kind of the twist at the end of the game, which is really surprising, is that your character takes that stone and shoves it into their forehead. And I was kind of at odds with that, like, and and trying to understand that. But apparently, like, Diablo, even inside this stone, has this incredible influence over people. And so now you are that human vessel for Diablo. And so it's not the sunshines, unicorns, and rainbows ending (laughs) that that most games are going to give you. You know, it's, it's an unsettling ending. But I feel like it really sets it up for a sequel. And that's kind of nice. Yeah, it's a really disturbing ending. I don't know. What did you think, Steven? Yeah, I thought it was cool. And that was my first thought was seeing your character jam that soul stone into his forehead was that the protagonist from the first game is going to end up being the Diablo you kill in the second game. Um, I don't know if that's actually how they intended it, but that's you know what it feels like watching the ending. But uh I don't know, it's really cool, and it's just a nice twist. You play this whole game to kill Diablo, and then you essentially become Diablo. It's, it's pretty cool. I don't know if it's a fitting ending, but it's definitely a surprise ending, and, and mm-hmm. one that kind of, as a gamer, I feel like you can really appreciate kind of thinking outside the box and you know, kind of pushing that envelope. Because to have an ending like that, to say, oh, you just spent all this time to beat this game, to beat this final creature... And now you're probably going to end up being this final creature. That's sort of brazen, in my opinion, for a developer to have an ending like that. Yeah, definitely. It does kind of defy convention and uh, is very interesting for sure to see your main character do that. Uh, You would never see Nathan Drake from Uncharted do something like that. Let's (laughs) let's just put it that way. So yeah, I just, I thought about this a little bit, my final like takeaway from the game, my impressions of it, and I would never ever in a million years have played this game if it weren't for the playthrough. So I do appreciate that as being able to kind of look at it from a historical perspective. Mm -hmm. But what it really did was make me want to play more of the modern games that take after it games like Baldur's Gate or Dungeon Siege 3 like there are so many Diablo clones so to speak I don't really like using that word but Diablo influenced games that are out there and it just rather than making me want to play more Diablo or play Diablo 2 it made me want to play more modern and easier and more accessible games of the genre But I'm glad to have played it. Definitely a good history lesson. Definitely kind of a good grindy game. And uh, that's my final takeaway. I would only recommend it if you kind of know what you're getting into. Know some of our strategies that we talked about. Otherwise, I would just say skip to the more modern entries. So that's my uh, final takeaway. So I'll pass it along to Rich. Yeah, um, one of the things that I did want to mention before we sort of wrap it up is that the game did have multiplayer, and you could actually play that. Now, 
during the time, of course, playing on the computer <laughs> was mainly dial-up, uh, unless you lived in the dorms when I did, when you did have Ethernet, and you could actually play multiplayer that way. I never had that experience. I know that uh, Blizzard did Battle.net several years ago, and you could play Diablo. I don't think you can play it that way now, but I think you can play Diablo 2 that way. And then you can also play multiplayer on the PlayStation 1, well, two-player anyway. And from what I understand, that's a pretty exciting and kind of fun way to play this game. So I did want to mention that. Um, I really wish that as a community we could have gotten some multiplayer going. I think that would have been great, but um, I don't think there were really any outlets for us to be able to do that. In terms of my final thoughts on the game and sort of takeaway is this idea of Diablo's legacy. And I wanted to talk about that for just a minute. Though Diablo isn't a game that's stellar graphically, even for 20 years ago, I feel like it's sort of the game that pushed the PC and PC gaming to new levels. I feel like at that time, console was very much the king, and PC games were sort of an afterthought. But I feel like Diablo kind of brought gaming back to computers and people are saying, oh, well, that's, this is really cool. You can actually play a game like this on PC. And I think that it was kind of a springboard for other PC games and developers really focusing on PC and especially Blizzard, you know, with, with things like Starcraft and World of Warcraft and just the cultural influence that it's had and uh, turning gamers into more PC-oriented gamers. So I think that this game has a really significant place in history um, other than just being kind of a fun or kind of a cool game. Definitely agree. That's very important. And even as I was saying, this game influenced so many games to this day. Like Diablo didn't create the dungeon crawler genre, but it probably modernized it in a way that has just been iterated on and improved upon kind of in the way like Wolfenstein and Doom did for the first person shooter. Sure. So uh, pass it along, Steven. Uh, you got any final thoughts? My final thoughts are going to sound kind of similar to the Sean's in that uh, I, I enjoyed this game and I'm glad I played it. Um, but a lot of times while I was playing it, I kind of wished I was playing Diablo 3 instead because I kind of missed a lot of the um, new features and refinements that, that that game brought to the formula. For anybody who played this game 20 years ago when it came out, you know, I could see how this can be looked at as you know one of the greatest games of all time and kind of the same way that i look at the original half-life that came out or maybe a year or two after diablo i look at half-life as being one of the greatest games of all time but if somebody went back now and tried to play it they find a very playable game but also a, a kind of a dated game and mm -hmm. uh, they, they probably wouldn't see it in the same light as i do sure but yeah I, I still think it's you know a very good game and glad i played it and uh yeah just kind of like sean said kind of just maybe want to want to play the uh the later games and maybe some of the more modern games that were inspired by Diablo. Nice. Well, maybe someday we'll do a playthrough, perhaps of Diablo 3 or perhaps of a, you know, another kind of action dungeony crawler thing. So, Rich, I mean, I got to say just thank you for picking this game because uh, as much as, you know, the troubles that I had with it, I, I did <laughs> really enjoy it to a certain extent and I'm glad to have played it. So, 
It was a really good choice, man. And uh, I think, as you said, we had quite a big turnout on the forum, a lot of success, a lot of good input and participation. So that was awesome. Yeah, it was. It was nice to see everyone out and uh, really having a good time playing this game. And I certainly am really, really glad that you enjoyed it. I I always get a little nervous picking uh, retro titles because I know you're more of a modern gamer. So um, Mm. just um, getting texts from you and and seeing that you're really having fun during the game, even though, you know, you had your little speed bumps. I was really happy to see that you finished the game and uh, overall got a great deal of enjoyment out of it. Very cool. Well, speaking of uh, modern games that I get a lot of enjoyment (laughs) out of. So as we mentioned in April, we're going to be playing Child of Light, which is available on many, many platforms, PS3, PS4, Xbox 360, Xbox One. We're playing it on the Vita, as we mentioned. And uh, this is a really great game. And I, I really hope that people come out for this one because it really shocked me how good it really is and uh, we talked about it a lot at the beginning so i'm not gonna go on and on about it now we'll we'll do this next month and we'll talk about it for a couple of hours and it's gonna be awesome <laughs> so anyway just uh make sure you come on to the forums and we have our own uh forum now i, I don't know if we mentioned that on the show last month or uh or whatever but we're not a sub form of gaming generation anymore we actually have our own forum right on the the main page so that's pretty awesome. Just look for the community playthroughs section of the forum at our generation. Steven, thank you so much for coming back on the show, man. We missed you a lot. And it's, uh, I said, we got to get the heavy metal guy back on for, for freaking <laughs> Diablo, man. It's the only way. So thank you so much for coming back on, dude. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. It was, it was fun being on the air with you guys again. was a hell of a discussion thanks again for listening and extra special thanks to everyone who participated in the playthrough and joined us on the forum at rfgeneration.com thank you steven for coming back on the show to talk about diablo next month the rf generation playcast will see the light with ubisoft's critical darling child of light It is available on so many platforms that I won't even list them here, but let's just say you have no excuse not to join us for this exquisite game. 
Thank you as always for listening, and we'll see you next time on the RF Generation Playcast. Fresh meat.